you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to Acts chapter 9. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. If you're using one of those Bibles back there, it's page 918. If, uh, if you are a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event and follow along uh, with the notes and the scriptures and that kind of thing. Uh, anybody ever had a, you go to a place, New York or somewhere in Europe or whatever, you, and you get a tour guide, anybody? Right, and you come around the corner and the tour guide's like, look, the Eiffel Tower. And you're like, why did I pay a hundred bucks for that right there? And, but then, then uh, he or she goes on to say, and here's, blah, 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 and they kind of fill in some interesting things. That's a little bit what I feel like here. Like I, we could say, look, two miracle stories. And you'd be like, yeah, I can read that. But hopefully along the way, as we read, we, as we kind of walk through this, uh, maybe just maybe you and I get a sense of what God is up to in these two stories. So Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Um, and we'll just kind of walk through the passage here. Uh, there's really just two things that I think the Lord has for us in particular. Uh, but we'll, as we go uh, through the passage, we'll find them. Here we go. Uh, verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So you've got kind of Jerusalem right here. Everybody kind of mentally picture this. You've got kind of Jerusalem right here. And then you've got Lydda about halfway between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea. And then we're going to encounter Joppa uh, here in a little bit. And it's on the coast. Okay. So three kind of places. And, and uh, Peter's kind of journeying west in that. Why is he going here and there? It's because the persecution that we talked about several weeks ago, um, Saul and stuff, all of that's begun to die down. Verse 31 says the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria area, had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So Peter's like, man, I got to take responsibility for these folks. And so he begins to journey here and there. Um, he, he, he went here and there among them all and uh, went also down to the saints who lived there, who were there at Lydda. And here's, here's one of the questions that kind of sprung up in me this week in light of that verse right there. Um, do I see my going here and there as opportunities for ministry? I mean, just do, do I see the normal operations of my week, the normal machinations, the normal in and out, here and there, this office, that office, that building, this thing, this classroom, this other deal? Do I see those as opportunities for ministry? Peter did. He went here and there, and everywhere he went, he saw an opportunity for ministry. I wonder if sometimes um, I, some of us, me included, um, miss opportunities for ministry uh, for one of maybe several reasons. Number one, um, because we don't look up. I was, um, one of our kids is doing gymnastics down here, just down the street, um, and I was in the, the cattle pen that they called the parent holding area. Anybody with me on that? So we're in there and uh, going through that and um, doing the thing. Um, I'm a people watcher, so I'm just looking, I'm watching, I'm watching. Um, and I'm telling you, there was a point where every single adult and every child who was with an adult was engaged digitally with a screen or device in front of them. I'm not talking about most of them. I'm not talking about 99%. I'm talking about every single one of them. So I'm watching, and they're all just locked down. Building could have been on fire. Some kid could have done a triple back tuck with a flip thing or whatever. Everybody would have missed it because they were locked in. 
to this right here. And then in rolls this dad. Looks like he just got off shift. He sees his little bitty baby, or I think maybe he even brought him in or something. He's going to pick him up. Anyway, the little bitty kid and this dad gets in there and he starts throwing the kid up in the air. He did catch the kid. Okay, so like he's throwing the kid up and catching the kid. And as he catches the kid, he gets right here on his neck. And the kid's you know, giggling and stuff. It was awesome because I think, I, I think I even said this on social media this week, um, dads who are affectionate towards their sons today make them better men tomorrow. That's true, dads, okay? And it doesn't matter how old you are or how old your kid is, but if you make them a better man tomorrow, if you're affectionate with them today, they need touch. They need touch. And so um, uh, he's throwing the kid up, catching him, doing the thing, and he's the only one in the room, myself excluded, he's the only one in the room who's not engaged digitally. Do we look up from whatever's in front of us in order to see ministry opportunities out there? Um, do we walk slowly enough? You get the sense from Peter, he went here and he went there sometimes, hey, you know, could you check on this or whatever? And eh, Tuesday's better for me. Is that okay? Or Do we walk slowly enough to engage the people around us? Our culture, our suburban culture pushes on speed and, 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 and being busy and all of that kind of stuff. That's the number one answer. When you ask, how you doing? Oh, we're busy. And then they follow it up with tired. Don't you think those two things go together, right? I mean, all the time. So, um, uh, do we walk slowly enough to engage uh, those people around you? This is confession moment, okay? Me as a pastor, me as your pastor in particular, me as a man and as a human, I'm about to lay something out here. The thing that I'm working on right now is being present in every conversation. Nobody else does this. But on occasion, I can be having a conversation with somebody and be thinking to myself, I wish they'd end their story so I could give them my little piece of advice and move on. Why are you laughing? I'm struggling up here. I'm confessing here. And you're like, no, I'm serious. I, I'm trying to be present in absolutely every conversation that I'm in because I don't want to miss ministry opportunities. I know none of you struggle with that, so just... Do we look up? Do, do we walk slowly enough? Um, do, do we ask good questions? My wife and I were out at dinner the other night and eating over here at Maggiano's, enjoying the time out on the patio, and little girl's working her tail off, and she comes by, what do you need? We go through the whole thing, drops a glass right next to our thing. She's all flustered by it. We just, hey, you're going to be fine. You're doing a good job. Hey, what's your tattoo mean? She's got one right here. You ever ask somebody that? Sometimes they're like, eh, well, I was drunk in Mexico. I don't really remember. Other times, it is a fascinating, fascinating insight into who they are. She said, well, that's the act, scene, and line from Hamlet where he says, to thine own self be true. I got it when I was 18 because blah, 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 and off she goes. And we had a probably an ongoing 15-minute conversation whenever she'd come by about where she went to school and how the boyfriend was and all this kind of, it just opens up ministry uh, opens up opportunities for ministry if you ask good questions.
Peter went here and there, and as he was going, there were opportunities for ministry. Verse 33. There in Lydda, he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Can we just pause for a second? He was, he was paralyzed. He had been bedridden for eight years, but he's a man. So what then can we piece together in our minds about Aeneas? He had some sort of accident, right? And so all of the things then that go with that, not only the trauma of the accident itself, whatever it might have been, but also then all the other stuff that follows. Um, He can't work. He can't provide for his family. He starts to get disconnected maybe relationally. There's an emotional thing that comes with that. And then, uh, and men, you may get this more than others, uh, but, but it's probably broadly true across. Whenever we have something come down like this, inevitably there's a dark cloud that forms over our heads, starts to rain on us a little bit. And like some of you today, when you parked, you let somebody off and then had to run inside, you just kind of feel the wetness all over you. Um, and we call that shame. I can't take care of my family. I can't take care of myself. I can't do this. I, 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 I feel distant from these people. I can't connect with them. They just wear the shame on them. So not only does he have this physical problem, but he also has this other stuff where there's financial stress and social status change and relationship change and emotional stuff and this shame that just kind of walks over him. So Jesus, or excuse me, Peter, verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. The thing I love about that is that Peter names them both, right? Hey, Aeneas, Jesus heals you. Let me make this introduction here. I I love that. And and here's what else. I I love that Jesus, whenever we see him doing stuff like this uh, in the New Testament, I mean, the healing part is power unleashed. Everybody can agree with that, right? But there's also um, this compassion side. Like whenever uh, Jesus is at work and he's doing healing ministry, there's not only the power of bringing healing to people, but compassion. So you can go look this up later. But Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, 36 says, Jesus went about proclaiming the kingdom um, uh, of the heavens. And when he was doing so, he was, he was um, healing and, and releasing those who were oppressed by the devil. And he goes on to talk about this. And he says this in the next verse. Why did he do this? Because he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Power and compassion. Typically, we try to major on one of those, other, uh, one of those two. And Jesus brings them both together. And so um, for, for Aeneas here, we have the, the power of him healing, but also the compassion of Jesus at work in his life, especially as it deals with him as a person, not just him as a paralytic. Jesus Christ heals you, rise, and make your bed. In other words, when he tells him, rise and make your bed, he says, hey, Aeneas, you're no longer defined by this. This was a part of your story, but it's, it's not the end of your story. It's not your story now. Rise and make your bed. I, if, can you imagine if Aeneas had just said, hey, you know what? Uh, I believe that I'm healed. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. But I think I'm just going to hang out here for a while. What would that say about God? That it's a, he's, a, he's a half-powerful God, right? Like He's powerful enough to see me through whatever, but he's not powerful enough to help me live in freedom from this. 
Like moving forward, he's not powerful enough to really sustain me. So I think I'll just remain in the status quo as is right now. He's, he, he is powerful enough to, to get me through this particular moment or, or uh, help me in this particular area. But he's not powerful enough to really let me live in liberty with him. What would that say about God if, if Aeneas had just said, eh, I think I'm going to hold on here. I say that because some of you, God has done a powerful work in, his, in, your, in your life. And, and when he comes to you and he says, hey, it's time to live in liberty, in liberty, rise, get up, take your mat up, fold it up. You're done. Like, get up. Let's move forward. You're like, oh, 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 can I really do that? Here's the thing. We don't want it. We don't serve and we don't want to put on display a half powerful God. He is God enough not only to heal you and then to help you walk. He is God enough not only to, to uh, uh, deal with your issue of the moment, but then also to let you live forward in liberty and freedom. He is God not only to deal with your sin, but also to deal with your shame. Sometimes people, uh, if, if they struggle with this kind of thing, maybe they don't actually believe, they're not really convinced that they're healed. That could be one of them. Maybe they cannot picture a life Without it, how do I live without this? Or maybe in this moment of darkness, the this, this shame and the stuff is just soaked into their skin, so to speak. And they possibly even like the attention that comes from it. Comes from it. Hey, this is kind of my identity. This is kind of my place of belonging. I'm, just, I'm here to tell you, church family, that the difficult parts of our stories are where the good news of Jesus and the power of God shines most brightly. And He is powerful enough not only to see you through it, but also to help you live forward from it. In other words, this is a pop-up on the screen, I say it this way, that, that we get to then walk out what Jesus has worked into us. That, that's the message of a need. We get to walk out what he has worked into us. Some of you, he has done some really powerful things. Good news. You get to walk that out now. Some of you, he has done some amazing, kind of miraculous, rise up, get your bed, and get moved. And he has done some really powerful things. Now we get to live forward from here. We get to walk out what he has worked in us. And then verse 35, And the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. It is magnetic. Those who are living proof of the liberation of God in their lives, it is magnetic to those who are still in bondage. That's in the end. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, which I know we got some pregnant ladies in here. Please don't name your daughter Dorcas, Okay. Tabitha, you're good. Dorcas, that's a junior high nightmare waiting to happen, okay? It means gazelle, all right? So that, that's, a, that's a good thing, right? It doesn't mean like water buffalo or anything crazy. Like it means gazelle, and that part's a good thing. And she was. She was a force to be reckoned with. Look in the next sentence. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Not just kind of like she did them every so often or when the need arose. No, she was full of them full of good works and acts of charity. Verse 37, in those days, she became ill, and what happened? She died. She died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. 
I'm pausing here to say this. Here's Tabitha, full of good works um, and, and charity. Her name is the gazelle, man. She's getting after it. And here's the thing about her. She did not escape the, the curse that is upon the human race. Nobody escapes the curse that is upon the human race. What curse is that? Because you and I have sinned against God, everybody will indeed face death. Tabitha here, full of good works and charity, she doesn't escape. You and me, we don't escape either. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says it this way, therefore just as sin came into the world and uh, through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to how many of us? How many? All of us. All men, because all sin. Every one of us is going to face that. Every one of us, full of good works and charity, um, just a day sober or still in the gutter. It doesn't matter. Every one of us is going to face this. Here's what Hebrews 9 says. And just it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It is appointed for us to die. That will happen. Nobody escapes the curse. God, in his um, uh, uh, judgment upon sin, has said, hey, everybody is going to face this. And so that's why we need a Savior. We're going to come to communion here in a little bit. And we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus has come to rescue us from sin and death. Because nobody skates. Nobody gets past this. Nobody is, oh, well, they're so full of good works and charity that that's not going to be a problem for them. Everybody faces the same judgment. Everybody. Whether you're Tabitha or Peter or Bob or Sally or whomever, nobody gets a pass on judgment. And that's why we need a Savior. It's why Jesus had to come to die on a cross in our place and to then rise from the dead so that you and I could be made right with God. And if you've never experienced that, if that's kind of new news to you, you hold on to the end of the service. I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that means. Nobody gets a pass on judgment. Verse 38 now. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and went with them. So just pause right there. I love that Peter was available for ministry. That goes on with that seeing ministry opportunities wherever you go. You go to Walmart or you go to your office or your classroom or wherever. There's always ministry opportunities around. Please come to us without delay. And sure enough, he was available to do that. They sent for Peter because Peter was available and they knew that he knew Jesus and that Jesus could help. Verse 39, so Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas, Tabitha, had made while she was with him. So they're holding him up going, look, she made me this quilt. Or, or look, look, she made me this shirt. Or look, here's one of the things that she did for me. And because my kid was without clothes and look what she made for my kid. She, they're just holding him up. Verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, Arise. Can we just pause right there? Here's why I want to pause. This exact scene has happened one other time. Peter was there. But it was Jesus in a room with a little girl named Talitha. 
not Tabitha, Talitha. And Jesus put everybody out except for Peter, James, and John, and then he turned to the little girl and says, Talitha, arise. It was the exact same language, one letter different. Instead of Talitha, Tabitha. I say that to say this. I encounter situations, you encounter situations where we don't know what to do. Anybody have a moment like that? Peter said, okay, upper room, dead body. I've seen this movie before. Jesus put everybody out. Y'all get out of here. And then he prayed, and then he spoke to the body. That's what I'm going to do. I simply say, you could do a lot worse than things that you had seen Jesus do. Who's with me on that? Bigger than that, and probably more important than that, the very first thing that Peter did once he cleared the room was he knelt down to pray. He gave himself, he oriented himself to his Lord before he oriented himself to his problem. He expressed himself to Jesus before he expressed himself to the issue that he was facing. Church family, we can learn a lot from that right there. The question actually came up this week. But if the building's on fire, I'm, yes. If the building's on fire, please pray on the way out the door, okay? Let's put that on record. Most of us don't face burning buildings, okay? Most of us face issues where we go running headlong into it and think, man, I should have prayed like an hour. Let's express ourselves to God first before we express ourselves to the problem. That's a good lesson for us. Peter does what he had seen Jesus doing. And only only after he had prayed did he turn to the issue. He knelt down, turned to the body, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. That is a picture, folks, of Christianity right there. That's what that is. It is a picture of Christianity. We are living in a world today where the culture and politics and media and all sorts of places want to paint Christianity in a particular way, in a particular place, in a particular bent, or however you want to say it. Here's the thing, though. It's Christianity is not about morals. It's not about manners. It's not about any of that stuff. I think as Christians, we should be nice. Don't get me wrong about that. But Christianity is not about uh, making bad people good. It is about making dead people live. You want to see what Christianity is about. It's about looking at Talitha, excuse me, Tabitha and saying, get up. It's about looking at you and me and saying, get up. The issue in Christianity is not good and bad. The issue in Christianity is death and life. Most people move from life to death. In Christianity, we get to move from death to life because you and I are separated from God, and the Bible calls that spiritual death. We're so disconnected that we're dead. And so somebody somewhere has to jumpstart our hearts, the, the thing deep down inside of us. We're not going to do that on our own. So God has to move toward us and move us from death to life. It's a picture of what the whole thing is about. Get up. Arise. Have life. When he presented her alive, what do you think? What do you think the response was? Huh? 
well, that's a neat part. No, 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 that's verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa. No kidding. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. It became known. Why? Because the miracles that God does in our lives, in the book of Acts, you know, the miracles God does is for the message that he wants to get out. So let me just summarize these two things. Here we go. Aeneas. Aeneas. Aeneas was healed, set free, so that he could walk out what Jesus had worked in him. That's for you and for me. Tabitha was raised as a picture of the good news of Jesus. It's not bad to good. It's death to life. We come to a time where we get to celebrate This communion table symbolizes that, that transformation right there. This communion table symbolizes what Jesus has done. What it means is that when we take the, this little cracker here, it's a symbol of the body of Jesus. Um, because what happened on what we call Good Friday, that was a terrible Friday for him, is that nails went into his body. I'm the one who deserved to die, but nails went into his body instead. Um, a spear was thrust into his side, not yours or yours or yours over there. It was Jesus who took that for us. And we'll remember that his body was broken so that you and I could be made whole, so that we could arise, so that we could walk, so that we could take up our mat, fold up our bed, and live forward without shame. We'll drink the cup and we'll remember that the forgiveness comes. Not because we earned it. Not because we warranted it. Not because we somehow merited it. Nobody gets a pass on judgment. Nobody. We'll drink the cup and we'll remember that Jesus is the one who has paid for us. So I'm going to invite everybody, if you need to fold up or close up or whatever you need to do, just take a moment. And then I'm going to pray and then we'll celebrate communion. Deacons, if you want to go ahead and move this way as well. So if you'll pray, and here's what I want you to do. Just take a second and ask, God, is there, is there something in my heart that I need to be made right with you about? I need to be reconciled with you? Is there a sin you need to confess or some point of disobedience I need to repent of and turn to you? Maybe there's somebody here who's got some sort of something between you and somebody else. They may even be sitting right next to you. They're in this room. Just take a second. Lean over. Squeeze a hand. Hug a neck. Ask for forgiveness. Whatever it may be. Husbands, lean over. Tell your wife you're sorry. Wives. Parents to kids. Kids to parents. Before we celebrate communion, this picture of being reconciled, let's let's Take the step to be reconciled. Father, thank you for the body of Jesus that was broken. 
so that Aeneas could walk, Tabitha could get up, we could be made whole. Everyone. You're a miracle-working God, and for that we're grateful. We pray in Jesus' name.